Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have a member of our community on today's episode. Her name is Leslie. Leslie is a successful doctor who was caught in the throes of a horrendously abusive relationship. All of our listeners get that. One of the purposes of having her on the podcast today is to talk about how abuse does not discriminate and how difficult it is for maybe successful or well-spoken. And all of you are like that, right? All of the listeners are like that. I'm like that. We maybe didn't recognize it because we didn't identify as victims, but also no one else would identify as as a victim. And so we really want to dig into that today. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. I hope that my story is able to help others. There were many dark times that I never thought I would get to the other side, but here I am. I am not only surviving, I am thriving. Like you, now that I'm really thriving, the podcast sounds so much different than it did when I started. So if those of you who are listening, if it's a little bit difficult or you're like, don't talk to me about the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm never going to feel good. My life is over. Uh, Leslie and I have been there. (laughs) And if you want to hear what I sounded like at that stage, please start listening at the beginning of the podcast chronologically. So go back to the first episode and listen from the first part till now. And you'll actually hear this very real time recovery over the past six or seven years, which is a fascinating uh, study in abuse recovery, because I sound so much different now than I sounded when I started. And I'm sure that you have that same experience, Leslie, of, of like life being wonderful now. But when we say that, I just want to acknowledge that many of our listeners, when we say that, will just be like, oh, I don't want to hear that. That's not possible for me. I agree. I agree. And I feel that, you know, there were so many groups that I had initially joined for support and everything. And, you know, the stories that were being told and, you know, you look at them, they're all so similar, but different in their own ways. And then you do see the people who have started to work on themselves and change things around. And you do believe that that could never be you again. I lost myself so much within that whole abusive relationship that to think that I could ever climb out of that, it was hard to think that I could do that. I agree. I've been there before. So Leslie, let's start at the beginning of your story. 
Tell me about the beginning of the abuse. Did you recognize your husband's abusive behaviors at first? Looking back, yes, I probably did. He was my um, second husband. My first husband was my high school sweetheart. Unfortunately, we lost him to mental health issues back in 2015. So I was at a very vulnerable time when I had met my second husband. And I think he knew that. And I think he used that to his advantage. I would have never dated him. He was a coworker that I had worked with a few years prior to that, that, you know, just kind of an acquaintance. And we connected on Facebook and I would have never dated him like because that wasn't the spot that I was in in my life. But of course, you know, he came in on his white horse and shining armor and all that stuff. And when I look back now, can I see every single red flag? Yes. Yes, I most definitely can. However, in the throes of it, I used every excuse in the book of why those red flags were not red flags. So at the time you were making excuses, but were you also giving what you thought perhaps were valid reasons? Like maybe he had a traumatic childhood or maybe this is just new and we're working on our communication skills. What types of reasons did you put around it or excuses did you use? Only because you didn't know it was abuse. Only because you were not educated in abuse. My guess is back then, had you been educated, you would have known what you were looking at. So it's not like you were like dumb or anything like that. You just did not know what you didn't know. Exactly. 110%. And it actually took a long time. And we'll probably get to that point where I'll explain when the light finally came on and somebody said to me, you do realize this is domestic violence, correct? But when we first started out, he was Six years younger than I was, he was 40, had never been married. I had been married for 27 years, three kids, fairy tale marriage, you know. So when we kind of started talking, I kind of saw him as a person who was totally enmeshed in his family. His family like had swallowed his life. I obviously being a doctor, my job to fix things, you know, and I see broken things and I try to help them fix. And so I would say to him, no, this is not okay. You know, your family treating you this way is not okay. And that was a huge part of the red flags that I didn't see in the beginning was the whole enmeshment, the traumatic childhood that he had. He had a sibling that was the bipolar sibling who, you know, the whole family always focused around. He was the youngest in the family. So he kind of got forgot along the way a lot of the time. And so there were so many things that I could rationalize away. And of course, you know, it was always, he, he hadn't been in any stable relationships because he had never met anyone like me. That was one of the wonderful lines that he always used, you know, and how everybody always cheated on him. I just hooked on to all that hook, line, and sinker and could see all the trauma and enmeshment and everything that was going on within the family dynamic. So I didn't realize until much later, you know, that trauma bond. I'm sure everybody in this group has either watched or knows about The Maid. And I will tell you, it took me a long time to get through that series. The Maid is a series on Netflix. I highly recommend it. It is triggery, especially depending on where you are in your healing process. 
but there are a lot of super important principles that they bring up and they cover all of the basics. They do. One of my friends recommended it to me and she said, I probably shouldn't have recommended it so soon. I was still really fresh and it took me a long time to watch it, but all those red flags that I didn't see and I continued with the relationship. We were actually in therapy before we ever got married. My 18-year-old daughter, I mean, there was one point where she was just like, mom, what are you doing? You know, I mean, I just couldn't see it. And so it was just one of those things where it became, you know, years of being pushed down. And then I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019. So we had been together since 14 and we were married in 17. So of course it was my initiation to get married. He didn't want to get married. Can we back up real quick? When we're talking about like you're seeing enmeshment, right? You're seeing oh, yeah. these things. I want to point out that healthy people can come from enmeshed families, right? Yeah. And so you might meet them and they might say, hey, I love my family. <laughs> They're pretty cool, but I do have to set some boundaries because my mom's a little whatever, but she's wonderful and I love her. And these are the boundaries I set and it works okay. Something like that is maybe what a healthy person would say. When you meet someone, if they lead with, these are my wounds and so I need help rather than these are my wounds. And so these are the boundaries I've created. This is how I navigate this. Um, I think that's definitely a red flag because all of us, everyone, everyone in the world has some kind of childhood trauma. They all have shame. They all have everything, right? Exactly. And healthy people are like, I felt shame. And so I went for a run or I felt shame. So I called my friend or I felt enmeshed. So I, I just want to point out that like, that is never a reason. If that's you, if, if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, my husband, he comes from this family that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm working with him on this. I want you to think about all of the people who also come from a family like that and they're not like your husband. Exactly. I think the answer should be to look at them sort of with a deadpan face and say, so I know someone else who went through that and they don't act like you do. Right right? Exactly. It feels very cold and not compassionate, but the the truth is healthy people are able to use their experience to improve and to become more and more healthy over time. Yes. And that's not what we're witnessing with abusers. Exactly. And, and I did get him into therapy probably nine months into our relationship because he had never been in therapy in his whole entire life. And he used those to check the boxes. And it wasn't until we got into a couples therapist who started calling him out on a lot of things that the relationship became even more rocky, more abusive. He was more emotionally abusive, getting in your face. The one part I do love in the maid, the series, is when she says, but he's never hit me. And that to me, when I listened to that, that hit me to my core because I said the same thing. Well, he's never hit me. It's not abuse. He's never hit me. You know, I'm a strong, independent. I run two hospitals. I've got six degrees. I, I'm not being abused, you know? And so the mother enmeshment, I mean, 
I was the one who was researching everything. I was the one who was always finding, trying to find answers. You know, first time I caught him with porn was probably the first year we were together. He had probably over 50,000 pictures on his phone of naked women of all ages, which ended up escalating into many other areas of, you know, finding him on dating websites and you name it. So when you say of various ages, um, here at BTR, we don't use the term child pornography. We use the term child sex abuse material because that's what it is. So did you also find that on his phone? They were very young looking. Yes. And then actually that was his MO was younger women. And he actually later on in my journey with him, when we kind of identified a potential sex addiction, but honestly, at this point, now that I'm at where I'm at in my life and in my journey, I think that he just went along with that diagnosis, went to a very expensive inpatient treatment center for three weeks, checked all of his boxes because he knew that was the only way he could stay in in the marriage, but yet continued to exhibit all the behaviors when he came out. He ended up getting fired from his job for sexual harassment of a younger person, younger than 21. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Let's talk about the pornography addiction uh, recovery part of it for a minute. When you kind of went down that road for a minute, did anyone in that space or at that clinic tell you that you are an abuse victim? Was abuse brought up or that this is an abuser? I had caught him multiple online affairs, things like that. And we were at our last draw. We were seeing a couple's counselor. And the last time I had caught him before we decided to give him this new label, I said to him, he, we were talking and he goes, I don't understand what's wrong with him. He keeps getting caught. He knows what he's got to lose. And he goes, it's almost like he has an addiction or something. And I go, well, is there such thing as sex addiction? And of course, then me with my, you know, analytical brain started going and researching everything. We started going down that path. We did start with CSAT counselors, which stands for Certified Sexual Addiction Therapist. And he had one, I had one. He did end up doing one of the very well-known programs out in Los Angeles. It was during his intake where his intake manager had called to speak with me, trying to get a background on my situation with him. That was the first time she finally said to me, you do realize what he is doing is domestic violence. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because most of the time when people go down the pornography addiction recovery route, they don't hear the word abuse. Nope. And so that is amazing that they said that. And I'm really like happy about that. The other issue is um, here at BTR. Now people, some people don't agree with us. In fact, a lot of people don't agree with us. You might not agree with us. Is pornography addictive? Sure. Do people compulsively do these things? Yeah. 
I prefer to define it as abusive behavior rather than an addiction because I think that gets to the heart of the matter. And so the whole pornography addiction recovery complex that does not view this as this man is an abuser, it concerns me greatly because I do not think they're addressing the correct thing. I think once you got rid of the abuse and the entitlement and the like using people and consuming people, which is all abuse, my theory is they would not be so interested in consuming humans. Oh, yes. If the underlying abuse was addressed, but it's never addressed. It's just try not to look at porn and try not to have affairs, which doesn't address the misogyny or, you know, any of these other serious issues that that need to be addressed, not just on this individual level, but obviously societally. Can you talk about that for a minute? I 100% agree with that. The two CSAC counselors that we were working with, his and mine, they were two different ones. Mine actually had been married to a sexual addiction abuser, and she divorced hers. The other one that my ex had seen, she had stayed with hers. So it's actually interesting to see the dynamic of what they brought to each of the therapy sessions. When I would try to say, but he's working so hard, he's doing X, he's doing Y, and she'd say, yes, but did he do it? all the times he was supposed to this week. Did you have to initiate it? How many temper tantrums did he have? How many times did he get in your face this week? How many anger management issues did he have this week? Did she ever call it grooming? Did she ever say, "Mm, well, he's checking boxes. That's also called grooming. Did she ever bring that up? She didn't. She didn't, but I've read that and the whole trauma bonding thing. Can we talk about trauma bond for a minute, Leslie? Sure. I'm not sure if you've heard our episode about this. I made up a different term for it. So because I don't like the word trauma bond because it just feels like that you actually maybe have a bond or something. I don't know. I didn't like it. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's not useful to you. So if, if trauma bond is useful to you and it's helped move you forward and get to safety, like continue using it. I didn't like it because it felt like a lot of women um, feel stuck, right? They're like, but I'm bonded to yeah. this person through this trauma. Yeah. And so the term that I invented, and we have a video on this that is amazing. So I'll put that in this episode. So if you go to our website and find this episode, the video will be in there. I call it the manufactured relational tether. Actually, I think I've seen that. The reason I call it that is because you think you're bonded to them, but they are not bonded to you. And they have manufactured this tether to keep you coming back and coming back. And the reason they've manufactured that is to keep you stuck. And that video really clearly shows it. Do you, you remember that video? Yes, I do. What did you think of it? I thought it was awesome because I saw so many things like people who saw like our relationship from the start to the, you know, to the end, if they know now that we've divorced, they are just shocked. They're like, Oh my, you seem like such an amazing person. He brought you flowers every day. I hate flowers now, just an FYI to me, that is a huge trigger because when he would be trying to hook up with someone and get caught, guess what he did? brought me flowers or he was abusive that night. Guess what he did the next day? Brought me flowers, you know? So flowers to me are a huge trigger, but those are the, all the outside things that they manufacture to everybody else so that nobody will believe your story. Nobody will believe because they just see this 
quote unquote, awesome person, you know, they don't see what goes on behind closed doors. They don't see the reactions. And the reason that I bring up my breast cancer story, that was when I first really was starting to say, okay, I think that this is just not going to work. But then I found out I had breast cancer. I've got three grown children who don't have their own father still alive. And I was like, and now I'm going to leave them motherless. I cannot fight him and fight for my life. So I decided that that all would go on the back burner while I fought for my life. I feel like that gave him a little bit more leeway to continue that whole, you know, keeping me down more and more and more. And it wasn't until after I'd been through the chemo, been through the double mastectomy, had been through months and months of CSAC counseling. We had done a therapeutic separation. Once I got out of the situation, I woke up one morning and looked in the mirror and I just didn't recognize the person that was looking back at me anymore. I was just like, wow you would never in a million years allow this ever, ever in your life. How are you allowing this now? And that was when I really started to take my power back. And that's when I started kind of the change of not necessarily working toward our reconciliation, but working more on focusing on myself and what I needed. And if that happened, then it happened. And if it didn't, I was okay with that mm -hmm. as well. Well, and let's talk about the therapeutic disclosure and all that stuff. I think that is insane when you're looking at abuse, oh, yeah. right? In an ideal world, which never happens, um, it does happen here at BTR. That's why I love BTR. It's, a, it's an amazing oasis of truth. But what should happen is the second you go in there, and it's hard because it took you forever to figure out they were an abuser. So, you know, why is a therapist smarter than you? They're not, right? You you have six degrees. By the way, can you just list your degrees real quick? <laughs> so I have um, a bachelor's in nursing. I have a master's in nursing with family practice. I have a master's in nursing in um, neonatal. I have a doctorate and I just went back with for a neonatal fellowship that I just finished last year. And you're a medical doctor. Yep. Okay. So you have your MD as well. Yes. All right. And you run two hospitals. Okay. So Leslie is no dummy people. So if you, <laughs> if you are like, why didn't I see it? Why didn't I know what was going on? And then Leslie is so smart that she starts researching things. And in this case, no good deed goes unpunished, right? Because her research actually kept her in the abuse longer accidentally, right? It's not your fault. I'm, I'm not saying that. But because it wasn't like abuse out of the gate, it's like sex addiction, it's maybe childhood trauma, it's some other things. You you go in and you're given this like, let's do a therapeutic disclosure, la la la. Let's wait for a minute before you want to separate because we want to try and save the marriage or other things that perhaps a CSAT would tell you. If you went to church or when you went to church, how did he mm -hmm. present in the uh, in a religious setting? I was raised 
by a Catholic father and a Baptist mother. So they never agreed on religion. So I kind of found my religion and my spirituality later on in life. It was always kind of funny to me that he would say how Catholic he was. He went to a Catholic high school. His family went to church every Sunday, da 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 da, da. But none of the things, all the lies, all the abuse, the stealing, things that he would do that were immoral just never added up to what a good Christian would do. So my guess is even though you didn't go for help in the clergy route, and a lot of women do, right? A lot of our listeners have tried to get help from clergy, from their pastor or their bishop or their rabbi. They have gone to get help and they are more abused in the process because the clergy does not know what they're looking at. And they might be abusive themselves. Number one, they might be steeped in misogyny. And also they may really like him. I I think that's actually probably the biggest problem is that they know the guy and they think he's a great guy. And so they're like, what are you talking about? Because a lot of clergy responds pretty well when they don't know the man. Like if they listen, they're like, wow, that sounds abusive. How can we help? But if they know him, they're going to believe him over you. So it's good that you didn't try to get help from clergy because my guess is that would have also been traumatic. But let's focus then on the trauma that came from therapy from like basically prolonging the abuse, not really calling it out, not recognizing it for what it was. They did eventually. And then you started wrapping your head around it, which was great. But the process of the years of therapy that you went through and really somebody not being like, look, this is abuse. This isn't addiction. This isn't this. You don't need to go through a therapeutic disclosure. You don't need to have him take a poly, you know, whatever. Like he is abusive. You need to separate yourself from the harm and be watch at a safe distance and not worry about managing. Because if you start managing an abuser, which you did beautifully because you're super smart and capable. So go go you. Good job. (laughs) I did the same thing. Then that is just like basically fertilizing the ground and being like, here, groom me, right? Check the boxes, do your grooming thing. And um, then the grooming just escalates as well as the abuse at the same time. Most victims, they are wonderful, amazing people. And so they go to the like classic relationship principles first. They go to love, serve, forgive, help, be helpful. When do you start realizing that being a supportive helpful spouse is working against you? I think, honestly, it was when I realized I I had totally lost myself. I was not the person that I was. I wouldn't engage in activities. I wouldn't go out with my friends anymore. There were so many things that gave me joy that I would not do anymore just because I just existed. I was the major breadwinner. He did not work. He couldn't hold down a job. And my breaking point for the first time we separated was we were actually in the car dealership getting him a new car because his lease was up. And I looked over and he was actually on Tinder making a hookup while we were in the car dealership buying him a new car. He moved out, and that was a very explosive time. 
we tried to navigate through that. And even our couples counselor, a couple months into it, finally had a meeting with me and he said, Leslie, how do you feel about a divorce and dating again? Because this is not okay. Sorry, it's interesting the words you're using. You're saying we, you're using the word we and stuff. I think that's really interesting because what happened in reality was that he's an abuser, right? And he's really losing control at this point. So he's trying to like reassert control here, which is why things are escalating. And we as a couple are not working on anything. But because your perspective is we, even now talking about it, I think it's really interesting that victims still maybe like looking back, think, well, we were trying or, you know, when that was never happening in the first place. It was, it was only me. You're 100% right. Yeah. Because you, you're in the relationship. You have a relationship, but they don't have a relationship with you. We're going to pause the conversation here. So join us next week to hear more of my interview with Leslie. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.